Amen, amen, amen. I want to thank our fantastic band, and, and you didn't know this, but uh, we have a substitute drummer today. He's also our sound guy. Uh, Lo, we give thanks for you drumming, man. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. All right. So, so, have you ever had a moment where you felt really dumb? Every week for me, every week, every week. So I had uh, one of those moments just this last week. Uh, uh, I, uh, I want to say this too. Thank you all for whoever, whoever in our church was praying for rain. I want to give thanks. Is that you have done your job. You have lit the right candle. But we were ready for some sunshine. Amen. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of sunshine, I, I was this week, I felt really stupid because I was, uh, I was going around the house and I was like, I, I, I got to go, but I can't find, I can't find my shades. Where are my shades? And I went to Renee and said, have you seen my shades? And she goes, uh, on top of your head, Dumbo, on top of your head. <laughs> uh, I've done that with my keys too, right? You're looking all around. Have you ever done this where you're looking for your keys and you're looking for your keys and they're in your, yeah, hidden in plain sight. You don't see what is there because it's hidden in plain sight. That's a way of describing what's right in front of you, but you, you don't see it. So, <clears throat> In 2011, when the FBI ended the most extensive manhunt in their bureau's history, they finally caught in 2011, James Whitey Bulger was finally caught the mob boss from Boston. He was on the run, get this, he was on the run for 16 years. He heard he was gonna be arrested, so he fled, and he was number two on the FBI's most wanted list for the longest period of time. He was behind who? Does anybody remember who he was behind? Who was number one? Osama bin Laden. So he was number two on the FBI's most wanted list, right? And when he was finally was caught, does anybody remember where he was? Was he hiding in a cave in, in, in the mountains somewhere? Was he down in his mom's basement? No. no. He was living the dream. He had a condo three blocks away from the beach in Santa Monica, California. He was hidden in plain sight. 60 Minutes had a special. They, they had a whole special on this, and they called it Hidden in Plain Sight. They interviewed his condo manager. They interviewed the HOA president. They interviewed people who live right next door to him in the condo. And guess is what they said? They, we had no idea. We had no idea. We had no idea that he had $800,000 socked away in the walls of his condo. Don't you know the cleaning lady went a little extra when she's looking around in that one, huh? <laughs> they had no idea that he had an arsenal of semi-automatic weapons and hand grenades in his condo. They had no idea that Johnny Depp was going to play him one day in a movie. They had no idea that he was wanted in connection with over 19 murders. And at one point in his life, he killed someone, choked them to death, and then just took a nap right there. You get tired after you kill somebody, I guess. He was a psychopath, a sociopath. He was that much of a bad man. And what did everyone say on the 60-minute special? We thought he was just living the dream. We thought he and his girlfriend were retired, and they were very nice. And what sticks out about him? They asked people, what really sticks out about this psychopath who was hiding right next door? You know what, he, you know what they said? And y'all are going to think I'm making this up because of my long history here around this subject, but I'm not making it up. They said, we noticed he was nice to cats. <laughs> There's your first clue. <laughs> I'm not even joking, I'm serious. Okay, but we're talking about lions. Lions are cats too, so we're okay with cats, all right, all right? We're good, please no, please no emails, okay? Please, I'm just teasing. Whew. All right. They were looking at something and they had no idea what they were seeing. They saw one thing, but what was really there was another. So what I want to explain to you is this is actually constantly happening with us. Uh, we've heard the phrase, and you've said it, right? Looks can be 
deceiving. And your life and mine looks can be deceiving. And we are looking at something where we're not seeing what is really there. And this is really, really true spiritually. It really is. There's a movie that illustrates this. I don't know if you, how many of you ever watched the movie Moneyball. Anyone here? Okay, a few more hands. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a wonderful exploration of how to find actual value when it's hard to see at first. Moneyball is actually the true story of the Oakland A's baseball team, and they lost some of their best players to other teams that were willing to pay those players much more money. And so they actually reinvented themselves, uh, and the team's manager was responsible for this, Billy Bean. He realizes, I can't compete with these rich teams. I can't do the way, things the way they do them. We can't afford all these great players. So he brings a staff member into his coaching squad named Peter, uh, Peter, Peter Brand. And he, he comes on board, and he's a master of what is called sabermetrics. And sabermetrics is, you know, for people that, <laughs> unlike me, that were in the fast math class, okay? This is for people that can do statistical analysis, variance of analysis, et cetera, on different people. And they basically said, we're going to find value in players that nobody else can see. And they began their work. And he said, people are often overlooked for a variety of reasons, right? Age, appearance, personality flaws. Well, Sabermetrics cuts right through that. And he said, I think we can find championship players in people who never thought they would be in the championship. It's sort of like the NBA Finals right now. Who would have thought the Suns would be up two games to nothing in the NBA Finals right now? The, the Phoenix Suns? Hello? Is it just me? Okay, whatever. All right. So anyway, they put together a team that the rest of baseball considers a bunch of rejects and a bunch of has-beens and a bunch of never-will-bes, and they not only end up going to the playoffs, but they actually set a league record by winning 20 games in a row, all because they were able to realize the high-value players that they needed to win were there for the asking, and they were, guess what, they were, if you don't have the theme yet, come on, folks, it's hidden in plain sight. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Whew. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus tried to teach us a little bit differently. Jesus talked about the number one subject. The number one subject for Jesus was the kingdom of God. Making up there, come down here. The kingdom of God. And when he talked about it, he didn't talk about it the way people talk about it today because the kingdom of God and heaven are sort of interchangeable. And people today talk about heaven like this. Oh, streets of gold and a personal unicorn and playing a harp. What? I don't know how to play the harp to save my life. That's not heaven. Heaven is being with Jesus. Hello? And so when Jesus talked about heaven, he used imageries like a little bit of yeast, right? A little bit of yeast in the bread, that's the kingdom of God. Or a mustard seed, and it grows and becomes something great, okay? And yeast is fungus, right? And can yeast change the world? Can fungus change the world? Well, actually, yes. In 1928, here's another example, in case you don't have the theme yet, for the slow people. 1928, Alexander Fleming went on vacation. He's a scientist. Have you ever noticed this when you go on vacation, you gotta do two weeks of work before uh, and two weeks of work when you get back? Well, he left things a bit untidy in the lab. And one of his bacterial samples was supposed to be closed, but it was open. And so when he got back from vacation, he's like, oh my gosh, I should have not had this open. And he looked at it and he's like, wait, there's fungus growing on this sample. And the fungus is killing the bacteria. And he looked at it, he was gonna throw it in the trash. And he looked at it a little bit closer. And he's like, I need to look at this because the bacteria that's away from the fungus is still alive, but the, that, that, that's close to it is dead. And guess what he discovered on accident? Penicillin, hidden in plain sight, in case you don't have the theme yet. All because he bothered to notice something that was unusual in a lab sample of fungus. So what I'm trying to tell to you is that God's kingdom is hidden in plain sight, but you can't always see it. Again, this is why Jesus always said, it's the smallest of mustard seeds. It's the yeast in the bread. Nobody can see yeast in a bread, but you know it after you bake it, right? Hello, bakers. 
Absolutely. So just like God's work, just because you can't see what's happening doesn't mean that God's not at work. Just like God is in this room right now and you're all going, where? Where's God sitting, huh? But God's here. Amen? Hello? Now, when I ask if God's here as a church, you're supposed to go, amen. amen. You're not supposed to go, I don't know. where. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first thing is looks can be deceiving, all right? Uh, in my life, in your life, looks can be deceiving. We're looking at something, and we can be seeing it, but we're not even seeing what's there, okay? And I actually want to show you this in Scripture, because Paul talks about this. He says it a little bit different, but 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, so we don't look at our troubles that we can see now, right? He's saying, I've got a lot of troubles right now, but I'm not looking at those things. I'm looking at far away. He says, rather we fix our gaze. Everybody say, fix our gaze. Fix our gaze, meaning it was broken, but now it's fixed. We're choosing to fix it. We're fixing our gaze on things, he says, that cannot be seen. For the things we see now won't be here forever, but the things we can't see real close will be here forever. So what's Paul saying? Is Paul saying you can't always trust your physical vision. You can't always trust what you see and make decisions based upon what you can see. So let's talk. This is the part of the message where Renee said, I should cut this out. Do you think I listened to her? No. So we're going to dive right in. You can tell her if I should have cut it out. Don't tell me. All right. We're going to talk a little bit biologically about eyesight. And it's going to make sense. Stay with me here. Uh, there's a point. When we talk about eyesight, what we're really talking about is light. Light, light that enters through the eye, through the cornea, then it gets to the pupil, then it's shined by a lens onto the rear wall of the eye, which is known as your retina. The tissue of the retina is actually covered with a photoreceptor called rods and cones. Everyone say rods and cones. Okay, your retina, the rear wall of your eye, has this lens which shines a light that comes through the cornea and then goes through the pupil and then gets shined on the lens of the back wall and it's bouncing off of rods and cones. You have in your eyes, this is amazing how God made you, right? You think about how God made you, right? First of all, you have a cut, it'll heal by itself. You try making something that heals by itself. That's pretty amazing. I think that's pretty amazing. And then you have 120 million rods in your eyes. You're like, how do you fit 120 million things in this little eye? But God does. All right, so rods are amazing. Rods generally look at shape. That's because rods are colorblind. Rods can't see color. They just see shape. Cones are more sophisticated. They can see color, but they require more light, which is why if you're like me and you're getting dressed and you have to do it in the dark because your wife likes to sleep in, you cannot tell when you have a blue sock and a gray sock because you don't have enough light until you get to work and everybody goes, hey, look at your socks, idiot. And you're like, well, if my cones could see color, then I wouldn't have that. But anyway, you can only see the shape, but you don't have enough light for your cones. All right. Your cones can't activate without light. Cones see color, but they take a lot of light. How this all works is light comes in, then through the cornea into the pupil, shined by the lens onto the back wall of the retina where the rods and cones, they actually act like film and they take pictures really, really fast. And they take pictures and they send that to your optic nerve, which exists in the back of the eye on its way to your brain to process all the information you're receiving. Now, what's crazy is where the optic nerve actually leaves the eye, there are no rods and cones. In other words, at the back of your eye, technically, you're all blind. At the precise spot where that nerve leaves your eye on both eyeballs, you have a blind spot. Now, you can actually do this. You can actually see this at home. So kids, try this at home. All you got to do is get a sheet of paper, which I have prearranged. And you take a piece of paper and you take a little marker and you draw basically two dots, four inches apart on a sheet of paper. And so if what you do is you close one eye, right? So if I close my left eye, right, and I'm looking at both this dot on the right side, and then I extend it out, eventually I will lose sight of that one dot. It's the weirdest thing. If you start to pull away at a certain point, the dot on the right will enter into your blind spot and actually disappear. 
Don't try it right now. Try it for when the sermon gets more boring. <laughs> Go ahead and try it right now. Anyhow, this is actually constantly happening. You have a blind spot. But you have both eyes open. So your other eye is seeing and filling in the data for what your other eye is not seeing. Does this make sense? All right, so it sends it to your brain, and your brain just puts together the whole picture with no blind spot. So technically what you're seeing with each eye, right, is actually a blind spot, but you're not, you're not seeing the blind spot because your other eye is filling in what is hiding in plain sight. The reason I say that is because that's true physically, but it's also true spiritually. We have a hard time seeing things spiritually. There are things in front of us, Paul says, unseen things constantly around them. Now, we can't see them, but sometimes you really encounter them. So how many of you ever said, I see love, I see love, right? You want to be, if you're married, you want to be so in love that when people see your love, they go, ah, God's a good God to put those two together, and you're seeing love, right? Friendship, it's hard. Friendship doesn't walk in the door and go, hi, I'm friendship, but you can see it. You can experience it. Fellowship in a church family, love in this room. It's hard to see, but it's there. And sometimes you can even feel it, right? So, so like, for instance, I've seen it. There's a gentleman whom I love in this church named Elon Barnes. Where's Mr. Barnes? There he is. He's back there. He's one of my heroes. Yeah. And so, so Mr. Barnes, you know, unfortunately had a tragic thing happen. His, his daughter passed of cancer. And so two women in the church have said, we'll be your daughter, Mr. Barnes, and we'll take you out to eat, and we'll go out to eat once a week with you, and we'll fellowship with you, and we'll, we will help you in your time of grief, and we will love you. And, and those two women have done that in our church. And that kind of stuff happens, and when I see that, I go, oh, I see it. That's love. Hello? Are, are you, but you can't see it with your physical eye. Does this make sense? Why? Because we have a blind spot. How did we get blind? It's right there in the Bible. You remember Genesis chapter 3? What happens in Genesis? Well, if you remember in Genesis, Adam and Eve are doing great. Things are great. They have thousands of trees to eat from. And God says, don't eat from that one tree. And what's the one tree that they decide they're going to eat from? That one. Right? I mean, the guy's version of this is it's all her fault. Which technically, it is. <laughs> Adam's out hunting and gathering for the day, comes home, and Eve says, here's some apple pie. <laughs> he takes a little bite. Next thing he knows, he's naked. But if you remember, the serpent lies, the father of lies, right? That's what the devil's called, lies to Eve. And he says, you actually can read this in Genesis 3, then the serpent promised, he said to the woman, if you eat from this tree, you'll not surely die. You'll not surely, surely die. For God knows that in that day, if you eat of it, and that tree is the tree of knowledge and good and evil, look what it says. Your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. And you'll become like God. And now you'll know good and evil. So the evil one said, don't do this. Or the evil one said, do this. And God said, don't do this. And we listened to the evil one, right? Eve ate from that tree and so did Adam. And their eyes were opened. And we were tricked. They were made blind. It was a LASIK surgery gone wrong. And our eyes were open to what? To sin and to shame and to death and disease and embarrassment and guilt and loneliness and all the things that God never wanted to experience. That's the etiology of this. That's what the devil gave us, a blind spot. Now, and think about this. Adam used to walk with God in the garden, right? And people sing that song in the, in the nine o'clock. We sing it. He walks with me and he talks with me. 
It's called in the garden. And every funeral I've done, for anyone that's over 80, we got to have in the garden. If you play that song at my funeral, I'm going to haunt you. (laughs) I've heard it enough. But the song is about he walks with me and talks with me in the garden. And Adam had that every day. And now all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't. Adam and God would walk in the garden during the cool of the day. We haven't seen God with our eyes since. So man in this fallen condition with a blind spot in our soul, it's hard to see God. And so looks can be deceiving. So we go around, we double click on our Instagram and and we scroll on our Facebook and we think we're seeing everything, but you're not seeing everything because looks can be deceiving. And nothing says looks can be deceiving better than the old filter on Facebook, huh? (laughs) Oh, come on, friends. I have some horror stories from single guys who got on eHarmony and there's a picture from 10 years ago that the girl posted. (laughs) I got to the door, she was like 10 years older, what happened? You should have used a picture from 10 years ago as well. Okay. All right, so looks can be deceiving. So what do we do to combat this? Because we're blind. Well. Here's what I want to share with you. Eternity becomes visible by faith. God's kingdom can become visible by faith. God's kingdom. So in order to understand this, faith, when you look at things through faith, it becomes like a telescope. How many of you ever looked at a telescope? Come on. So yeah, telescope, faith is a telescope that allows us to see things that are far away that we can't see with a naked eye. It gives us assistance so now we can see it up close. Hello? Yeah. And this is why 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says things like, we walk by faith, not by sight. If we walk around just trusting what our eyes are seeing, your blind spot will continue to lie to you. Instead, if you pick up the telescope called faith, instead of just trusting what you see, you walk by faith and not by sight, that changes everything. And now you begin to see things that other people can't see. And people in our time call those people visionary or dreamers because you can see things that people can't see. When Walt Disney built Disney World in Florida, it was a bunch of swamps with alligators. And he never actually, with his physical eyes, saw the completed project. Never. And so they said to Miss Disney, oh, it's such a shame that Walt never got to see this. And she said, oh, yes, he did. He saw it all the time. It was his vision that saw this, the magical kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's vision. Right? And we say things like, we say things like, well, I can't see that happening. I can't see, I can't see how bigotry and hate and racism will ever go away in our nation. Well, I can. Because people couldn't see how a little Montgomery bus boycott would ever come of anything. I can't see how Rosa Parks not sliding down to the back of the bus is going to mean anything. I can't see how uh, a movement, a civil rights movement is ever going to amount to anything when you have an untested pastor who's 26 years old who doesn't want anything to do with civil rights named Reverend Martin Luther King. That's not going to change. I can't see that happening. I can't see apartheid coming to an end in South Africa. Hello? I can't see her forgiving me. I can't see our marriage ever working out. I can't see my health ever improving. I think I'll just die. My dad was in the hospital for 132 days with COVID. He beat polio at six, and then he has COVID at 82. I'm like, Dad, you signed up for the bonus program on viruses. (laughs) You're not supposed to. But what I started to say to him is, you got to see yourself healthy, Dad. You got to see yourself recovering. You got to see yourself walking without a walker, which he's doing without oxygen, which he's doing. You got to see it. Or just march on over to the grave and climb on in. I can't see this person ever getting sober. Well, I I can. 
I can't see the church growing. I can't see a school with 200 kids. I can't see us ever building a building. I can't see, I can't. Well, maybe you need some new vision. Maybe you need a little faith. Maybe you need to believe that God who created all things lives and dwells in you and gives you power. Hello? When I was a kid, my dad would load us up into the 1973 AMC station wagon. Yellow, canary yellow all throughout with fake brown paneling all along the side. Beautiful car. Leatherette. You know, the kind of leatherette that heated up to about 140 degrees when you sat on it. You had third degree burns on the back of your legs because you're wearing shorts. No AC in the back. There's no fence in the back in 1973. The kids just suffocated back there. And my parents would go on these trips from hell. We called it vacation. (laughs) And I sat between two older sisters. I always had to sit on the little hump in the back. Like, that's comfortable for three days. (laughs) And they would claw me to death with their nails. You're not allowed to hit a woman. (laughs) Seriously. So we went to some crazy places. I look back on that and like, my parents spent some money, right? They spent some money uh, and energy and time. I mean, I think about those trips, man, just the gas money alone. Like I'm talking three, four days in the car just to get where we're going. So we went to some cool places. We went to the Grand Canyon. We went to Yellowstone National Park. We even went to Nebraska. Woo! (laughs) Here we come, cornfield. We drove down to Disney World one summer. We went to Colorado, went to South Dakota. We even visited a place called the Corn Palace. You can look that up. There was a place called the Corn Palace. We went to Mount Rushmore. That was pretty cool. So we did these trips, but it sort of boggles my mind on how far we drove, like days in the car, like days. And like old school. There was none of this, we're going to stop at Bucky's and load up. Oh, no. <laughs> my parents were old school. It was like, we're getting out the cooler out the ice. By the third day, the ice is all melted. Your sandwich is soggy. It's in the Ziploc. It's all just melted. So now you're starving. You don't want to eat anything. Eat, wait, we're not spending money at the gas station. Just get, you know, rest stop, you know, rest stop areas, you know, where people get killed. That's where we went. And so today, so we just drove to Colorado with my kids, right? And Jacob's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm flying, Dad. I'll spend my own money. I'm flying. <laughs> I said, well, okay, well, we're driving back. So you, well, I guess I'll ride back. I can't afford another ticket back. So, so he's back there. I look back in the back seat. They got their phones going. They got music playing. They got a Wi-Fi hotspot courtesy of Mama's car. They got streaming movies, Netflix. They got people rubbing their shoulders back there, massage parlor. I don't know what's going on back there. It's everything. I mean, it's total entertainment back there. And so they actually said to me, we're bored. <laughs> we're going to stop here at Bucky shortly. You ain't going to be bored. Bored. I told him, I said, we, I said, we didn't have an iPhone. Do you know that your iPhone, your iPhone 4 actually has more power in it, computing power, than NASA used to send people to the moon? Your phone, right? And remember our teachers used to say, you're not going to have a calculator all your life, always with you. <laughs> no, I am. <laughs> math teachers put me in the slow math class. <laughs> Anyway, none of them watch now, so that's all right. And so I said to my kids, you know what my parents told me when we were dazed in the car and the, the fake leatherette scalding our butts? You know what my parents said to me when we said, we're bored? They said this, look out the window. <laughs> look out the window. And then we get a hotel at like three in the morning. And it would be like, I don't know, some like roadside paradise hotel. And there ain't no paradise but the name. And, and it was like, my dad was so cheap. Because uh, he's German. And Germans don't like to spend money, right? We're getting one room. Y'all got sleeping bags. 
But Tad, who knows what happened on this floor? It doesn't matter. Just get down there and sleep. So there'd be like, you know, four of us sleeping on the floor. My parents are up in the kink bed. <laughs> I shouldn't share this, but I will. This is so funny. One time, we couldn't find a room. It was like 3 in the morning. They stopped in one of these really cheap motels that actually has, if you put a quarter in the bed, vibrates. Oh. I loaded that bad boy up. <laughs> About 3 in the morning, my parents thought there was an earthquake happening. Oh, that was that. To this day, I still laugh about that. So, you're grounded. I don't care. What are you going to do? Put me in the car? So, anyway, I remember them, you know, and it's like today we have the navigation in the dash, right? Or you got your little iPhone. You can get right there, you know, turn left here or turn right. They didn't have that. So, my parents would be in the hotel room, like, well, I think maybe we went the wrong way for 100 miles. I'm not sure. And my dad would get out a triple A map. You remember the triple A maps? Triple A. Looking at a map. I can't read a map to this day to save my life. Reading a map. But it actually is one of the great lessons. Your parents actually know things you don't know. They see things you don't see. And they have plans that you're not even aware of when you're a kid. And all the parents said amen. Right? I mean, why in the world would parents have a curfew? Why in the world would parents want us to do a homework? Why would they want us to go to bed? Why would they want us to say, you can't eat that, or you can eat this, or you, you can't watch that? Because they can see things we can't see. Look out the window. I wonder, friends, if it's possible that you do not know and see everything that God knows and see everything God sees. I mean, sometimes I think the Heavenly Father's looking down and saying, why don't you trust me? Why don't you believe? And maybe God's saying to us, look out the window. If we as earthly parents generally have, our, generally have our kids' best interests at heart and generally have some clue about what we're doing, how much more so does our Heavenly Father? Though we do not know what He knows and we cannot see what God can see, and though He has plans and purposes that we know nothing about. I'll tell you, you know, people of faith can have vision. My mom was like this. My mom would say, I remember I wrote a list of all the qualities I wanted in a woman I was going to marry. <laughs> I, have a, I still have the list. And I showed it to my mom. My mom, this is the woman I'm looking for. Now, this is before eHarmony and Swipe Right, folks, okay? This ain't Tinder. This is old school Tinder. It's what I'm looking for. My mom goes, that's Renee, you dummy. <laughs> this is baby doll. Hello? Marry her. My mom could see. She was able to look out the window. I'm like, okay. 27 years later, my mom was right. So when you walk by faith and not by sight, right? When you look at people, what are you going to see? You're going to see something that other people don't see. You're going to see potential. You're going to see they were made in the image of God. You're going to see they were destined for impact. You're going to see there's amazing potential inside of them. You're going to look at people, and in the words of C.S. Lewis, you've never seen an ordinary person. God never made anybody ordinary or normal. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. But when God sees you, what does he see? My son, my daughter, a royal priesthood set apart you're going to look at people and see they're destined for impact. And if you start to see that in yourself, look out. To borrow words from Loki, brother of Thor, you're going to, by faith, look at people and see someone who is burdened with a glorious purpose. And see, so you know this, right? Because you've looked at people and you're like, wow, that person is something different. They have something going on. That's how I came to the faith. Greg Perry and Kristen Iverson, two people who I loved in high school, and I'm like, they got something different. But I didn't see it with my physical eyes. I saw it with my heart. And when you're going to look at problems, what are you going to see? You're going to look at those problems, but you're going to remember that God has a plan. And you're going to think, you know what? God's always going to work together for the good. And when you look at things with the naked eye, you're not so much, but when you look at through the lens of faith, you're not going to get discouraged because you're going to remember that God has a plan. And what about when you experience pain? 
You're going to believe that God's going to give you power and God's going to be with you in that. And along with suffering, God's going to give you grace. And God's going to do something through that pain and give you purpose through your pain. And you're not alone. And whatever you're surrounded by, it's surrounded by God. And the same God who walked with Adam in the cool of the day, wherever you go, you're going to see with faith that God is going to walk you through it with you. And you're not alone. And you have to have eyes of faith to see it. And you can say, I know that you're with me. I'm not alone. I'll fear no evil, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's from Psalm 23. And David wrote that at the end of his life because he had seen God all along with eyes of faith. In the most difficult times, the telescope of faith helps us see I'm not alone. And you look at pain through faith, you see it's not without purpose. And here's what you need to know. It's not like a one and done sort of thing. Like some of you have to constantly put on the telescope of faith, right? How many of you wear glasses or contacts? Come on, let's come clean. How many of you said, well, I wore my contacts yesterday, don't need to wear them today. The same is true with faith. You have to put it on. You've got to say, okay, God, help me to see what you see today. Help me to look out the window and not just see what's right in front of me. We've got to put faith on each and every day. We have to choose to believe. We have to constantly be correcting this nearsightedness inside our soul. <laughs> Through faith, eternity becomes visible. Through faith... I know that I'll see my mom again. Through faith, I know that she's in a good place and that she's with God. And her cup overflows in a place that Christ has prepared for. Through faith, we talk about seeing our loved ones again. Hello? But you can't see it? No. Because we're blind. In the world of Charles Spurgeon, what I want you to see is that there is a heart in heaven that always loves you a tongue that always pleads and intercedes for you in Jesus, and an arm that always fights for you. It's Jesus. He's for you. Someone get excited in here and say amen. Amen. All right. And really the third point is nearsightedness must always be constantly corrected. Nearsightedness is our problem. Nearsightedness is where you see stuff up here, fine, but stuff out there, it's far away, you can't see because you got to look out the window. Man, my parents were so smart. They were right. You got to look out the window. And it's essentially the same thing. We see things on earth. It's vivid. We can taste it. We can touch it. We can, we can experience it. We can buy it. I was talking to a veteran the other day, um, actually counseling a veteran in my office, and he was telling me about his experiences in Desert Storm. And he actually brought in pictures. It's a really powerful way of telling me his story of serving our country and he had pictures. And, you know, when you serve, and I've never served like he has, but when you serve like that, there develops a band of brothers mentality, right? Because these, these men and women are going to lay down their lives to, to protect you. So there's solidarity. And so he was showing me pictures of solidarity. And it gives you a real appreciation for the men and women who have served our country. It does. It gives you respect. But he talked about how in Desert Storm that they got, the, uh, they got the, some of these uh, army Humvees and they're, they're painted, you know, army green, you know. Well, they're in the desert. Green sticks out. So they painted them in Desert Storm. They painted them trying to get them the color of sand. Well, what happened is apparently... Uh, some of them went to the same art class I went to, and they painted them the army green to try to match the color of the sand, and it turned out to be rather pink, very pink. So much so that <laughs> one of the soldiers had developed a little bumper sticker on the Humvee, and it said, ask me about Mary Kay. I thought that was great, you know. That's what you say to the enemy. Ask me about Mary Kay before I take you out, yes. So I, I love bumper stickers. I, I, I don't ever put them on my car because they, you know, they don't ever last and look good, but I like to read them. I, I, here's a couple of ones that I love. If you lived in your car, you'd be home by now. Yes, that's it. This one actually disturbed me. I saw this one time. I actually saw this in uh, California, which makes a little sense. <laughs> 
No offense to anyone watching in California, but y'all are weird, I'm just saying, so. Want to taste a religion? Bite a minister. Hello. That's awkward. Then I saw this one. Someday we'll look back on all this and plow into a parked car. Yeah. Or some of them are philosophical. What if the hokey pokey is really what it's all about? Yes. And someone in the nine o'clock said their favorite bumper sticker was, uh, it, it was a red Mercedes and it said, used to be his. <laughs> uh, she had a good attorney. Yes, good attorney. My favorite, though, was this one, boldly going nowhere. It's important to learn the difference between motion and direction. We tend to live very busy lives. But at the end of the day, what's all this motion doing? What's it producing? Where are we going? There's a difference between just motion and direction, and the word is purpose. Motion is simply movement. Direction is motion harnessed to a purpose. Faith and vision in God give you purpose, give you purpose. And I want to say this because I do so many funerals. I did a funeral yesterday. Uh, it was really a, a great service and a great guy who actually was not materialistic. Uh, this guy, his name is Mark Underbrink. I, I celebrated his life yesterday. And I love the story his family told me. They said, Mark hated ties. They didn't want me to wear a tie to the service. I told him I have to. It's part of the part of the protocol. Uh, and he hated any kind of uh, pretentious shirt. He liked holy shirts, t-shirts. That's what he liked to wear. He liked shorts. He was typical corpus, no pants, right? Just shorts. And uh, in fact, the family tried to throw away his holy t-shirts. Ladies, have you ever tried to throw away your man's favorite t-shirt? They've tried. And they would actually time it so they would take it out to the trash right before the trash pickup came. And he loved shirts that much. And one of the reasons I share that is because he wasn't materialistic. He was into a purpose and not the perks of life. Many of us pursue the perks of life instead of the purpose of life. And we have to make that difference. Generally, about the age of 50, most people start put a little break on the, I've got to be successful, I've got to make money, I've got to be driven, I've got to have a, a car, blah, blah, blah. And they start going, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not going to be here forever. And now I've got to make a difference and not just make a living. So I want to tell you a story about this, and it's actually kind of a sad story, and it's a narrative tale for us in that we don't want to be like this. And the story involves a man named Robert Oppenheimer. Now, you may think you don't know Robert Oppenheimer, but you do. Born in 1904 in New York City, Oppenheimer was fascinated as a kid with science, admitted to Harvard, graduated in three years from Harvard with honors, studied in the finest schools in Europe before beginning a career at teaching of all places in California, the California Institute of Technology. Considered one of the top 10 theoretical physicists in the world, and something happened that would forever change his life. He was chosen to oversee a team of 4,500 men and women who were responsible for developing the first ever atomic bomb. All that math, all that science. We can't figure out a way to feed the world, but we sure can't figure out a way to kill the world. Two years and $2 billion later, $2 billion. That bomb exploded over a place called Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we can debate the morality of dropping that bomb and how many American lives it saved, and that's certainly true, but that's a whole other sermon. But Robert Oppenheimer reached the end of the rainbow. He reached the end of the rainbow. He chased a pot of gold. He's at the height of his career. And by all means, successful. Was he delighted? Was he elated? that he developed a weapon that killed 100,000 people in an instant. The treasure was terrible. He had created the ultimate nightmare. And when he saw what he created, he began to examine his values and where all of his pursuing of the perks in life had led him. And a short two months later, he resigned his position at Los Alamos. And if you study his life, he spent the rest of his life trying to undo what he had done, trying to stuff the genie back into the bottle. But as we know, you can't. 
And so we all got to reach a point in life where we got to evaluate, what am I living for? Am I just, what am I doing with my time? Am I just in motion? Or do I have purpose? Am I seeing, am I looking out the window? Am I trying to make up there, come down here, God's kingdom come, God's will being done? Am I doing that with my life? And it's sad to me that some of the brightest minds in the world had developed the worst weapons in the world rather than how we might feed everybody or, or love everybody. I mean, come on. So I'll close with this about eyesight. Uh, one of the most uh, difficult things about my job is sometimes I have to do funerals I don't want to do. And, um, you know, when someone's lived to be 99, that's, that's an easy funeral to do. They're 99. They were great. They lived a great life. I mean, you know, at 99, you know, you're on bonus time. Nobody's like, I can't believe they died. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were almost 100. But when you have to bury a five-year-old, that's not, that's not good. That's not, that's not the way it is or the way it should be. We know that's not the way it should be. And so uh, in New Braunfels, um, I had a five-year-old, and he died from a condition that I have, which is asthma. Now, I'm 51 years old, and when I have an asthma attack, I had one yesterday. I'm on, a, I'm on some steroids, Simbacort, and I take an inhaler. And when I have an asthma attack at night when I'm sleeping, guess what I dream? I dream I'm suffocating. It's always, suffoc- it's always Renee with a pill. No, it's not. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? No, that wasn't me. You're dreaming, honey. You're dreaming. Yes. No, but seriously, I, I'm terrible today. I really did a lot of prayer, y'all. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, I also am sleeping on the couch for the next week, so yeah. If anybody has a pad I can come crash at tonight, that'd be good. Yeah. Anyhow, I have dreams, and I actually, well, I'm dreaming I'm suffocating. And I wake up, and, you know, I take my inhaler, and I'm generally okay. Um, but when you're five, you don't know what to do. He was five, he fell asleep, had an asthma attack. I got a call at three in the morning, go to the ER. He doesn't make it, doesn't make it, died. And the father says to me, I'll never forget it, how am I supposed to walk out of here without my kid? How do I leave the hospital without my kid? And again, as I said last week, there are no words. There are no words. You've just grown. And so, you know, you're there, you're with the family, you're praying, and then they get a call. Would they donate his organs, specifically his corneas, the outermost lens of the eye, the window of the eye that allows light into the eye, the light that gives sight as it comes in, into the cornea, into the pupil. And there are people in the world who can't see. There are people in the world who, if they could have those lenses, they would no longer have cloudy, damaged, scarred corneas. And they would have this five-year-old's spotless, beautiful corneas. And they could have light coming into their life. And I would love to tell you that the family said yes right away. But when it's your loved one, they, they, they struggled with that. And we prayed about it for about an hour. And that was about the window of time we had to make a decision. And their first thought was no. So we began to pray that direction. And in the middle of praying, they changed their mind. And it becomes yes. And so they donated them. And two people later received sight on this earth that were basically blind because of the lenses of this five-year-old. And they were able to meet those people that were able to see because their five-year-old died that night. And they talked to me about how even in the midst of suffering that it gave them joy that that through that suffering that God was able to provide some form of redemption. Doesn't make it all right. Doesn't make it all better. But there was some form of redemption and goodness that could come out of their pain and suffering. But what did that take? That took eyes that are not just corneas but eyes of faith that could look out the window 
Are you with me, church? So Jesus said some interesting things, right? Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I'm the life. Those who believe in me will never die. He said, there's a soul within you that will, will go on for eternity. Eternity is already in session. Do you see it? But he also said something very interesting. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And if you let me in your heart and in your life, I will shine and other people will see it. And we used to sing about it, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So shine. Quit hiding it. What are we saying? Hide it under a bushel? No. That's the favorite part of the kids' song. No. They scream that in chapel time. You should see 180 kids screaming, no. I'm going to let it shine. But I want to say to you, there are some people that don't let it shine. Well, you have a choice. You got to put on the telescope of faith. You got to put it, you got to wake up, put the contacts in, say, I want to see the world. I want to look out the window. Give me the eyes of a lion, the eyes of the lion of Judah. I'm the light of the world. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and look at ways that we might see in a new way beyond our physical sight, beyond what we can see. Lord, help us to see what only you can see, to look out that window, to trust that you have a plan, to see you walking with us, to see you help us overcome the mountains and the trials of life, to see that you're always with us and that one day, one day we will be with you in heaven. And give us the faith, Lord, to see other people as you see them. Give us the faith, Lord, to see other people not as a color of skin, but as your child. Help us to see and recognize that our looks can be deceiving. And things happen and we never even knew you were there. But you were always there. And you always will be. So God, give us that vision. Open our eyes. Overcome our blind spots. And help us to grow. And give us the eyes of a lion. The eyes of the lion of Judah. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil. Thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone, and we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other, and we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.